See ya. Navel jelly. <laughs> yes. Navel jelly is a thing. It's it's a purple jelly that you Rub a little in your belly button. It's a it's a uh, it's for removing rust thing. Really? Whatever you call an anti rust thing. But why is it called navel jelly? Because I'm sure it has something to do with boats. Oh, so it is like the navy, not like the belly button. Well, yeah. Oh, you think, you said you think I'm milking? They're spelled belly differently. So I, <laughs> that's why it's confused me because you said it was the belly button. <laughs> Same here. Oh, <laughs> Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. This is episode number 71, and we're going to be talking about how the process of Vanilla.js and the Lean Web can improve your sites. We brought in a special guest for that. And good evening or morning, everybody. I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other other host, Aaron Hill. How you doing, Michael? They, you never say your last name, and now people know. <laughs> now they. Well, I, didn't, I said my first name twice, but I said my second name in a different language. Oh, okay. Well, as long as as long as we're being consistent it's about my, it, it's my other other first name. Your other other <laughs> name. Folks, if you are enjoying the podcast, be sure to stop by our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Live at Manning conference series. They have a conference coming up. Actually, depending on how the math of this works, um, this episode is airing on the 14th, and therefore tomorrow is Rust Conference. You can go get a free ticket. It is from noon to 5. You can learn all about Rust. Uh, Just drop by drunkenux.com slash rustconf. That's R-U-S-T-C-O-N-F. Get a free ticket and learn about a new programming language. Can't go I've been wrong. seeing more and more about Rust just in my programming circles, just in general. See more and more about it all the time. And uh, we talked about on last episode, your Alexa in the background heard it, and now that's all plugged in. And now Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> is sending you Rust information. Internet. God. <laughs> that's the. <laughs> I don't have a good response to that. That's brilliant. <laughs> well, here, let, let me do it for you because it, that exact problem is why you can find us on all the social media places. If you run by Twitter or Facebook, uh, slash Drunken UX or Instagram, slash Drunken UX podcast. If you ever want to chat with us or talk to us about a problem you're having or get our opinion on a website, feel free to drop by our Discord. You can uh, go by drunkenux.com slash Discord. That will get you an invite and drop you right into our little channel. Aaron, what do you got to drink tonight? I've got, uh, from a few months ago, I got some Balvenie Caribbean cask, the 14-year. You'll love it. Yeah, it's getting low. Getting down there. That's that's about one night of drinking for me, so wait. Mm, <laughs> I try to not, pace it, man. <laughs> I would say that that doesn't reflect well on me, does it? I got a, I got a bottle of, of bourbon upstairs. Actually, no, the bourbon's gone. I got a bottle of tequila upstairs. That's for the, the drinking, drinking. I Man, I almost broke out my good tequila tonight, and... I just I I was testing out a, a a new Segway. It's a fake. It's a Chinese knockoff Segway. Um, wait, it's for wait, my wait. dad. Do you mean like a speech communication Segway, S E G U E, or do you mean like the mobile device, the the personal transport device? Um, my dad only has one leg, and so he uses one of those now for getting around his school and and getting oh, around cool. his property and stuff. 
uh, but it's starting to get a little uh, dodgy in terms of battery life and stuff. So mm. we found him a new one that's got like 19 inch off-road tires on it, but it's just this Chinese knockoff. And it also knocked me off earlier. Um, <laughs> it, it, well, it threw me off and also tried to run over my leg. And so I'm like, you know what? I need something a little lighter this evening. Maybe don't give that to your dad that only has one leg. Oh, no, he's used to it. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> it's He's fallen off his other one many times. That's not uh, how he lost just, his leg in the first place, right? He's used to driving those things. I okay. just got it and assembled it and wanted to make sure everything <laughs> was working right. And it ended badly for me. But I wanted I wanted light, so I'm actually doing something I don't normally do, which is Glenlivet at twelve. Um, hmm. It's it's a very light, uh, slightly fruity Highland. I'm um, not Highland, a uh, Speyside. Uh, it's got uh, some heavy grassy notes to it, and it's a little more like refreshing as far as like Scotch hmm. flavors go. Um, works really well with a bunch of ice in it, which sounded really good this evening. So <laughs> that's where I have gone. Nice. Let's see. I promised you a guest, and so I went out Have and we, found did we find one. What did we get? Did you get one for tonight? One. Well, actually, I I say I went out and found. I am wait, never wait. the person who goes click, out and finds. Click out and let's go get the guest really quick. No, I'm not going to click out. The guest is in the the window next to you, um, <laughs> folks. Uh, I didn't find him. He actually came to us and said, "Hey, you you want to talk about Lean Web?" And I said, "That sounds super cool, folks. <laughs> please welcome to the show, Chris Ferdinandi." He is the author of the Vanilla JS Pocket Guide series and also the ebook The Lean Web. He's the creator of the Vanilla JS Academy training program and also host of the Vanilla JS podcast. Folks, Ooh. welcome, folks. Aaron, hello. Let's give a round of applause to Chris Martin. Well, maybe I'll add some sound effects in there and it'll sound even better. We'll see. Like we're in a studio. <laughs> <laughs> we got a laugh track. Chris, man, thanks for coming on this evening. I'm really excited about this topic because it's something I know Aaron and I, we've mentioned the phrasing vanilla JS mm-hmm. more than once, though I don't know that we've ever done a great job explaining it. We did back in episode 27 um, talk about is jQuery still important? Should you still mm-hmm. care about it? And I think that's probably where we really talked more about this idea, um, probably more than any other time. But um I'm excited to to ex- help people understand why simple is better. Simple is good, especially yeah. in this world where complicated is too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, uh, yeah, I'm actually hearing you run through all the stuff I do and hearing how many times you said vanilla checkers. <laughs> it's called um, SEO. I'm I am very SEO. on brand. <laughs> so let's let's start right there right Mm -hmm. what is it when people say vanilla js i haven't heard of that plugin before Uh, what's your answer to that (laughs) yeah i get the whole um uh oh is that that another uh you know another framework i have to learn quite a bit too um which is fair and i actually think it um uh as a phrase it it started off as a joke um there's this Mm -hmm. uh vanilla-js.com website that um positions it like it is a framework and it's like really dry sarcasm and so a lot of people google it find that (laughs) and get really really confused so um if you're not familiar with the term vanilla js is a phrase used to describe coding with native built into your browser javascript methods and apis instead of frameworks libraries um etc it's not another plugin it's 
it's just using the javascript the that comes with the platform yeah, yeah. um and uh i have become i know a lot of people actually really hate the term because they're like that's not a thing it's just javascript um but if you've ever tried to like google um solutions and you want to exclude all the other stuff you're either doing like this really crazy kind of boolean search thing where you're mm -hmm. excluding all the things or um you know like i've found even if you type like this is back in the day like without jquery you'd get a whole bunch of like how to do x with jquery kind of solutions because right yeah you know so vanilla js is like a nice filter to say like i don't want all that other stuff you're um, affirmative, affirmatively excluding yeah things. and it's like yeah. i it's admittedly confusing for beginners but um so are a lot of other web terms like if you don't know css stands for cascading style mm. sheet that's confusing too and then you learn it and you move on so um i've been on kind of a let's educate people um mission around it's like this. going to stack um, overflow and finding trying to find a javascript solution that doesn't use jquery you know it's like every <laughs> example uses jquery and so right. if i mean great if that's what you want but chris what is a reason yeah. Give me like a small handful of reasons why, why we should prefer vanilla sure. JavaScript, JavaScript without any yeah. core or anything fancy, basic JavaScript over using frameworks or anything else. Absolutely. Couple of reasons. First of all, um, performance is for me, hands down the biggest reason the, like the platform close to the metal JavaScript is always going to be orders of magnitude faster than any library or any framework, even the ones that tout performance as a feature are still never going to come close to what out-of-the-box JavaScript will give you in terms of getting functional content in front of your users that they can start interacting with. If you run any sort of platform that makes more money when more people stay on your page, that's an important metric. Mm -hmm. That's something you should care about. Um, it's even more acutely... Um, Important when you start thinking about lower bandwidth users, um, mobile users, especially people who are on lower end devices. Um, a lot of folks who build for the web work on nicer machines and have often, but not always, better internet connections. Mm. And that is not necessarily the people who are using the things we make. Um, and uh, for them, way more than someone who's on the latest iPhone um or latest macbook or whatever the performance penalty you get from loading all this extra javascript um and then the layers of abstraction it throws on top um just make the biggest difference in the world you use the magic word there layers of abstraction right because even when you think about <laughs> something like let's say jquery jquery has to be written in normal javascript and so all of yep. those clever functions and methods and stuff that they've given you access to under the mm -hmm. covers still have to reference all the normal javascript it's nice they you know take 20 lines of code reduce it to one for you which is nice for you but it is an abstraction layer at that point so it is just running middleman and therefore is slower than had you written it yourself yeah and there's two there's two pieces to it so the first is the you know like it's a it's a helper function that probably ties into another helper function that ties into another helper function that eventually gets down to the raw kind of code that the browser actually runs. There's also the upfront cost. So jQuery minified and gzipped is about 30 kilobytes. Um, same mm -hmm. goes for the more popular libraries, Vue, React. They're about the same size too. And um, just as an artifact of how browsers 
download and parse and render JavaScript, um, those, even the 30 kilobytes doesn't really sound like a lot, but it can add quite a bit of latency to the actual startup time of your app or your web page. Because it still has to be, even if it's only 30 kilobytes, it's still a round trip to a server somewhere, be that a CDN or your host or whatever. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, you know, you get 30 kilobytes of HTML, the browser gets it, it parses it. Um, you get 30 kilobytes of CSS. It still has to do a little bit of parsing with it, but then it can start painting it pretty quickly. But JavaScript is a really special kind of creature in um, the browser world. So it delays, um, it blocks rendering. Um, it also blocks downloading of other files because it often mm. changes what's on a page and browsers don't want to download stuff that's just going to get removed. So they will literally stop all the things, download the file, run through it once to see what's in it and kind of compile all the pieces before they then run through it again and actually execute it. And that doesn't necessarily sound like a lot, but once you kind of put all the pieces together, especially if you're on a not, you know, high powered device, um, you can start to see delays of multiple seconds. Hmm. And yeah, it's just, it, it kind of sucks as a user when things um, hang, time out, um, don't work, take forever. Um, in a pandemic like we are right now, this problem becomes even more acute because bandwidth demands are much higher than they were a few months ago. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> you know, as everybody has moved remote, it's like a an even more kind of pronounced issue. Um, <clears throat> Chris, so, you did yeah. a, a talk here um, a while back, and we'll put a link to the video in our show notes on the Lean Web. You quoted uh, Zach Leatherman on this in a way that really, I thought, uh, exemplified this well. He tweeted that, which has better first meaningful paint time? A raw eight and a half megabyte HTML file with the full text of every single tweet, or every single one of my 27,506 tweets, or mm -hmm. a client rendered React site with exactly one tweet on it. And he says, it's the, the eight and a half meg file is about 200 milliseconds faster than huh. a React site with one tweet. Yeah, uh, so I did, some, I did some math on this. So React is 30 kilobytes. Let's say to render that one tweet, you wrote an additional 30 kilobytes of JavaScript, which seems kind of absurd. But let's say you're, you know, 60 kilobytes in. Um, that raw HTML file is 140 times bigger and 200 milliseconds faster. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nuts. just nuts. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> but it, you know, we don't think about where those performance bottlenecks are. Usually we think about how do I make what I have faster? Not mm -hmm. why is it slow to begin with? Yeah. Or or even like, you know, especially older developers like you and I, older quotes. Um, you know, you both we have more using... hair than me, so I don't <laughs> want to hear it. <laughs> uh, we, we both were using the web back when bandwidth was a bottleneck, but now it's it's really like mm -hmm. the the page load is the bottleneck. And that's I mean, you can add CPU speed, you can add memory and other stuff, but you know, there, there's always going to be that rendering because it's all like high level client side stuff. Even if you like beamed it directly into your computer with like special photon rays or something instantly, there's still going to be that final paint cycle. Um, performance is only one piece of this. I, I think one of the other 
the other kind of things here. We could like do a whole show on just JavaScript <laughs> performance and all the ways it screws it up. But one of the things I've really, I think one of the more compelling arguments, it's really weird, like getting people to care about users is hard because um, there's kind of this, this argument that happens, people get really hung up on um, the, like the developer ex experience. So um, Alex Russell is a developer on the Google Chrome team who talks quite a bit about performance. And back in 2018, he wrote this article called the developer bait and switch, where he talked about this straw man argument he has with people all the time around frameworks. And to quote Alex, it, it goes, uh, it goes, these tools let us move faster. And because we can iterate faster, we're delivering better experiences. And so there's kind of this, um, you know, this false equivalency of like, well, you know, yeah, the performance, but we can crank out all these new features. So that's better for the user and we can use more JavaScript. That begs a really big question. You know? um, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah. And like the argument is just wrong. Like it's not, I like, I used to be a little hmm. softer on this, but it's just an objectively wrong argument for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I think you can, for me, it's two things. It's, I think the idea that frameworks equals better developer experience is um, uh, dubious at best. It's probably true for some developers and also very much not for others. Um, not all developers are JS developers. There's a lot of people who contribute meaningful things to a project who don't know JavaScript, nor should they be expected to. Um, and we can unpack that if you want. Um, the other piece is I think you can clearly point to situations where just because you're using these tools um, doesn't mean that the end result, even if it's easier for you, doesn't mean the end mm -hmm. result is actually better for the user. Developer expediency isn't the only thing that leads to like faster creation of stuff the users want. More isn't always better. Like There's a whole bunch of UX reasons why that argument just <laughs> literally doesn't make sense. Um, so we can go in a bunch of directions. Tell me which way you want to go with this. We can talk about <laughs> JavaScript's it. kind of in a unique position, right? Because it's it's not PHP or Ruby or Java. Like these other languages, mm -hmm. they all have libraries. They all have frameworks to help things along. Yeah. But being that they are server side related and they are you know built on top of server architecture, there is a yep. a baseline consistency that they don't have to fight with that JavaScript has had to up until very recently with yeah. with the browser market edge yep. adopting webkit was actually huge for that because we're really only developing for three browsers now um, instead of four yep. and it caught uh, microsoft up by light years in terms of what they could support and, and talk about because like when i think about jquery um like that's that's the classic javascript framework that so many people have been exposed to jQuery mm -hmm. was solving a very real problem 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. jQuery was yeah. created because of the inconsistencies in, well, what were we then? Like that was ES4 or something back that far, ES3 trying probably. To, trying to select an object by a class was like yeah. huge, but huge. Browsers deal. return things in different ways. They didn't support all the methods or all the returns. Like it was, it was super wow. inconsistent. I, I remember learning jQuery and also MooTools on Prototype. I think it was yeah. Prototype. Um, around the same time that I was learning CSS. And I remember that uh, jQuery made complicated things like animations and other interactions easy. Like mm -hmm. it, it was just like, oh, I just do one line of thing with some parentheses and 
a CSS selector and boom, I have like a, a flyout menu or whatever. And we talked about this on episode 27. That was one mm -hmm. of the sort of base arguments was, you know, jQuery isn't bad. It's just starting to outlive its usefulness in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. And people still like it because they learned it five, six, ten years ago. And so they're used to that. They've, they're, they're doing JavaScript by proxy, which, mm. as we'll get into a little bit more, you know, learning that way kind of undermines skills uh, to an extent, uh, in my opinion anyway. Um, yeah. But that's when we talk about this and we, we say this, it's not that like, oh, my God, all, all libraries are bad. They aren't. My God, if you do data viz, you can't survive without D3 or Chart.js. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not writing that stuff from scratch. I'm... That's not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I've tried. It's um. There are certain things I'm happy to use tools for, and I think just as a quick aside, um, I constantly hear this like quippy little like, oh, if you're not using a library, you're writing your own from scratch, and it's poorly documented. Like, but like, no, like I I'm still standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm not hand coding every single line of. Mm -hmm code and everything I create, I just like, I'm being more selective about the tools I use and only reaching for the tools when they actually help. Like, I think we have as a problem, this industry of like, just use React or just use Vue. It's like the, the old, like nobody got fired for hiring IBM kind of thing <laughs> applied right. to web development. Like you're never going to get in trouble for using React, even if it's the completely wrong tool for the job. <laughs> It has its place. Managers love it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it has its place. It's just not yeah. for everything. Um, jQuery, I, I love jQuery in large part, not just because it was such an awesome tool back in the day, but so much of the modern web development experience exists because jQuery carved or paved the cow paths. They said, here's a better way that we could do things. And eventually the browsers caught up. Um, not always in as eloquent a way. Like I really wish query selector and query selector mm. all had a sh shorter <laughs> syntax. Um, it's, it's kind of a lot to write, but um, things like toggling classes and selecting elements and filtering through arrays and jQuery showed us a much nicer way to do all those things. That's an incredibly good metaphor to the cow path thing, because not only that with the browsers, but also like in EX, EX, ES6, a lot mm -hmm. of the updates that came into ES6 happened explicitly because of the problems that jQuery was solving prior to that. And so yep. they said, we need to solve these problems in, in the language. And so they not only got a lot of that stuff worked in, they mm -hmm. changed the entire release model of JavaScript from that point. So now we get those annual updates with, you know, now fewer and farther between in terms of, of the changes. Yeah. But... That's why this conversation now centers around you don't need jQuery for all this anymore because they solved the problems. And like I say, the browsers have come together much better in terms of their support. Again, because that baseline, I think, was normalized really well over the last five years, give or take. Well, there's one thing you mentioned that I think um, has two kind of implications. You, you talked a little bit about, you know, with the back end. Um, you know, your Ruby, PHP, like frameworks and libraries are very normal there um, and just commonplace. And I think, I think for me, the, the, big, the big difference between like, why is that okay in PHP and why is it a problem in JavaScript? Um, 
you touched on one piece of that, which is um, kind of the control in the front end, like not all browsers behave the same way. And, you know, some of the, the problems there um, are not just not all browsers behave the same way, but like in a backend environment, you control the server, how much, you know, how much bandwidth it has, um, how big it is, what the IO support there is. And in the browser, you have no control. You have no control over the bandwidth of your users, the devices they're using, the computing power, the browser, like it's just all out of your control. Um, and so for that reason, it's a much riskier environment to code in than the back end. Um, yeah. but the other piece of it is, um, you could use a hundred libraries in PHP and it has no real impact on the front end performance for your user, assuming, you know, you use them correctly and, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you, yeah. but every extra byte of code you use in a client side app is a cost you pass on to your user for your own convenience. And so it becomes a very different kind of thing. It's an extra byte that they have to download that consumes data against their, their data plan. Um, an extra byte the browser has to download and parse and, and run and do something with. Um, and so in that way, it's a very different thing. Um, and I, I think the analogy to the back end is really appropriate because for me, it feels like this obsession with frameworks and libraries doesn't start with jQuery. I think in the jQuery era, people were very cognizant. I shouldn't say era because it's still around today, but in jQuery's <laughs> heyday, people were very cognizant of how much JavaScript they used in general, how much code they they kind of sent down the wire because it was a much more bandwidth constrained time than today. Um, and there's data to back this up. I remember seeing recently a, kind of a report done um, by Tim Cadlick on the true cost of frameworks. And he did an analysis and found that um, sites that use jQuery sent way less JavaScript overall than sites that used other libraries and frameworks. And, you know, there's hmm. natural performance implications as a result of that. Um, for me, the kind of the, the rise of frameworks really coincided with the rise of the full stack developer. Um, hmm. And no, no disrespect to full stack developers because, you know, they do awesome things. But um, I have personally found that a lot of full stack developers had a backend background first and moved mm. into the front end because that's where a lot of kind of the business demand happened or, you know, businesses would say like, oh, hey, we want to do all this stuff in the front end now. You know code, <laughs> you go write it. And, um, you know, we don't want to hire more developers. One you man army, you can man. Figure it out. That is the majority of <laughs> right? folks, I think, really underestimate how many one man armies there are, one person armies there are out there. And so naturally, as these folks move over into the front end, you bring a lot of these, well, this is how we do it was, in PHP yeah. or in Ruby. So let's, you know, let's, you know, let's replicate that in the front end. And it's not, it's, it's a reasonable thing, but it had a lot of kind of trickle down effects that I think have been bad for the front end. Um, and I don't fault anybody here. Idiomatic cross-contamination is something that I see a lot. I, I do um, Ruby on Rails almost exclusively now. And I can usually spot people who come from other language expertise, like Java or PHP or mm -hmm. um, heavy JavaScript, like front end React and all that, because of the kinds of stylings yep. and approaches that they bring in to Ruby. Like Ruby is different. Um, 
and yeah. it's heavily duct typed and everything. And so people who are used to static type backgrounds approach problems with a different kind of uh, attitude, I think. And it's perfectly valid for the ones that they come from. But in Ruby, you idiomatically, you'd approach it differently. Say, yeah, Jeremy uh, Walker in, in a couple of episodes back when we were talking about exorcism used that word idioms. And it's like that. Mm-hmm. I have now like baked that into <laughs> any discussion I have about programming languages. I'm like, that's that's the word yeah. that is always missing when we have these conversations. Um, Chris, you used a quote. There's an article over at your site at gomakethings.com. Why do people choose frameworks over vanilla JS? And I, I love this particular quote. A contractor wouldn't use a wrecking ball to hammer in a nail. If she were hanging a painting, she would use a hammer. But if she were installing a new roof, she'd probably use a nail gun. And that's the kind of thinking that I think comes into play in all of this sort of discussion, too, because you think about, okay, yeah, that back-end developer kind of coming into the front end. They think, mm-hmm. well, jQuery does all the things I need it to do, so I'm just going to use that because that's the library that, that accomplishes right. all the things. And so they're bringing in that wrecking ball, not realizing that, yeah, they only need three things out of it. Uh, with C- you know, CSS, we, we're talking vanilla JS a lot here, but CSS falls into this a lot too because yep. it's the same way how much ghost code is out there in terms of classes that we created and then we stopped using that markup in our sites, but nobody thought to go back and say, are we still using these particular classes for all this stuff? And I don't even want to know. I'm, I am I am genuinely afraid in, in our code base at work, like how much CSS is in there that is never called because it's, it's a hard thing to audit after the fact mm-hmm. as well because you have to run it, you know, run any task against a ton of pages to make sure you're getting coverage. But yeah. it's the same type of problem though at that point in terms of like the bytes down the wire you know, all of that is stuff you're making people download for no reason. And jQuery and, and libraries like that, that's that big risk that they carry. Sending all of this, all this tool, you've got this giant wrecking ball, here it comes. But man, you didn't need all that. You only needed a fraction of it. And people aren't good at dissecting that little bit of work. Mm-hmm. It's also faster. To, to your point, Chris, that discussion about speed, right? It's fast to just throw jQuery on a site. It takes a little extra mm-hmm. time to write those four or five functions you may need to use. But you're you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in that equation. <laughs> yeah. The, I think, you know, one of the other pieces, too, I found a lot of folks, like, if you're, if you're used to a library or a tool, that's where you started off, um, you don't necessarily realize how much the native out of the box web just kind of gives you for free. And I, I very much am a fan of learning with whatever tool gets you from, I know nothing to, Oh shit, I made something that actually works like as quickly as possible, because I think learning momentum and like seeing that excitement of idea to execution is really important. You know? So if, if jQuery or view or whatever makes you feel like, you can do really cool stuff having not known how to do anything before, like by all means. But, um, you know, if you do do that, you you sometimes, um, you know, you don't necessarily realize like, oh, there's actually a native method that does that too. That's like just as simple to write. You know, for example, like people talk about JSX all the time in React, you know, making it really easy to create kind of HTML from strings and variables. But um, modern JS template literals give you a very similar syntax um, mm. with the same level of ease. 
you know, uh, I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent here, but, um, you know, to, to, to kind of circle back a little bit, um, there's that whole, like, if it's good enough for Facebook, it's good enough for me thing that happens with react. Um, and (laughs) I, I think the react was built to solve a very specific problem Mm. that Facebook had with their very specific garbage UI. I'm sorry, not garbage UI. No offense to any <laughs> Facebook developers that are listening here. Were there very specific... The original was garbage. It was layers upon layers upon layers. If you really want to be like, oh my god, that is horrific markup. No disrespect to any Twitter developers who listen to this show, but right-click on the favorite button on a tweet <laughs> and see how many nested layers of divs take you to this <sighs> not actually a button button in the UI. Um, and so... If you have that many layers of HTML, a framework that uses a virtual DOM probably does actually give you some performance benefits because the amount of diffing that has to happen to get that many layers deep is pretty big. Um, But for most UIs that are built, I'd call them maybe more sensibly or rationally, maybe you still want state-based UI, for example. Like you probably don't want to use vanilla js for that you don't want to like just code your own state-based ui thing i did that once it's totally insane don't do it (laughs) um but like if you're gonna do that preact is a really nice alternative that's only three kilobytes and even Mm -hmm. after the initial render it is still orders of magnitude faster than react for most user interfaces like if you're not crazy (laughs) levels of nested divs deep reactions to user interactions are somewhere between three and 10 times faster in preact than they are in react and the overall file size is smaller and it uses the same modern api and i could go on and on and on you know what the you mentioned there about like the the speed to which people can get engaged and stuff that gets Mm -hmm. into concepts like the doherty threshold where what is it the 400 milliseconds i think is is the measure at the doherty threshold which is just Mm -hmm. the speed with which a user interaction doesn't feel delayed or broken up. Like the the yep. time between clicking something and seeing something happen to the user, if it's below the Doherty threshold, it feels instantaneous, even oh, yep. if it isn't in those yep. situations. It's technically fast enough. Technically <laughs> fast enough, yes. That's a very good point. Um, similar to, um, it's not exactly what you were talking about, but something you just said kind of made this click in my head. Um, the other you know, we talked about a little little while ago the um kind of this idea of um tools letting people move faster. Um mm-hmm. and you know these these frameworks and libraries are really helpful for um kind of the developer experience. That is true for some developers, but these tools also have a really negative gatekeeping experience for a lot of other folks. I found the developers with a bit more experience oftentimes feel like React does a lot for them. And developers who don't often feel like React, this really complicated beast that makes no sense and is really difficult to learn. And if you're building an app entirely in React and you're also using like CSS and JS, so now you have to write your CSS in JavaScript too, um, it means people with like deep expertise in CSS, um, but not JavaScript can't contribute. Accessibility experts who don't know how to write JavaScript can't contribute the way they used to um, before. And there's like a really tangible example of this with um, WordPress. Um, So back in 2018, their accessibility consultant 
uh, or sorry, their accessibility lead, um, Rian Reitveld, resigned oh, from yeah. her position um, and documented why in this really detailed article. Yeah, so it sounds like you guys already yeah, yeah. know this story. But for those of you who haven't um, haven't heard it, at the time, WordPress was rewriting their um, their content editor um, with uh, with React, it's Project Gutenberg. Mm -hmm. And because neither Rian nor anyone on her team had React experience and because they couldn't find volunteers in the community, they could no longer go in and make accessibility fixes themselves. And this is like an entire rewrite of the UI. So this is not just nudges and tweaks anymore. This is, hey, whole new UI. We need to fix any accessibility issues. That and it's hard up. to even um, make the suggestions, let alone do the actual <laughs> fixes when you're kind of blocked out at that level. Yep. And so as someone who is, um, not I'm I'm an accessibility enthusiast, but I am by no means an expert. And so being told you need to do this to fix the accessibility and then being able to actually implement it correctly and not screw up other things is sometimes way harder than it seems <laughs> like it might be on the surface. And if you're a engineering team that is also trying to crank out all these like features related to a new product, accessibility fixes are now just kind of another thing in your queue that you're going to push aside because it works for me, quote unquote. I'm not saying you should do this, but the, realistically, that's what's going to happen. And, you know, Rian and her team used to be able to just go in and fix these things. Now they can't. Um, so she ended up resigning. Um, Gutenberg goes live. And uh, in May of 2019, an accessibility audit of the now live Gutenberg editor was conducted. The report ended up being 329 pages long with a 34-page executive summary documenting 91 accessibility-related bugs. Um, that, wasn't, wasn't Rachel Cherry involved in that? That was indeed yes, Rachel. Yes, she was. Yeah. Uh, she did a really detailed analysis of all the issues in the report, um, breaking them down uh, in real time as she read the report um, on Twitter, which was really awesome. If anybody <laughs> wants to hear from the horse's mouth on that, go back and listen to episode 37. She was on the show. And I was just over. looking for that. Yeah, is that, I saw, I'm like, that's talking awesome. about Rachel. I got to find it. What number was it? Oh, that's, I did not realize she was on the show. Okay, yes, yeah. So yeah, if you we, haven't we had her on the show. heard that episode, go back and listen to it because she Rachel is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, but so I think this is a really clear example of it's good for some developers, not good for others because mm -hmm. a lot of the accessibility folks were developers, just not JavaScript developers. Mm -hmm. um, and it very clearly resulted in a worse experience for at least a segment of users. Can you um, disambiguate it there? So you said it is good oh, yes. for some developers, but not others. Yes, what is sorry. It? Uh, in this context, I mean, frameworks, library, the Got idea it. that these uh, tools create a better developer experience and automatically and therefore also create a better user experience. I want to talk a little bit here to kind of round out the episode about how all of this, like this, this thinking about writing base javascript writing to the what we you know the real javascript whether you you know es6 uh, uh ecmascript 2015 whatever you call it um it, but as it bleeds into images and css and you know cmss i know chris you've got this this whole kind of uh convention that you advocate for called the lean web Folks may have heard of like ideas like Lean UX, for instance, mm -hmm. as like a procedure for approaching user experience. But Lean Web is sort of this less is more kind of concept as like how little can you do to get the best value out of it? What, how do you describe Lean Web when you sit down and talk yeah. with folks? 
Yeah. And so full disclosure here, I did not invent the term. Um, Thomas Fuchs did. Um, he used it a couple times on Twitter and I just felt like it really kind of resonated with the way I think about building things for the web. So I co-opted it and always make sure that I give him credit because um, he coined the term. Um, but for me, um, the lean web means um, uh, it's it's a mo maybe more, um, I feel like at this point in web development as a profession, we're very focused on developer experience um, and tooling. Can, can and, you define uh, what you mean by developer experience? Yeah. So I see this term used often. And the way I think about it is um, uh, focusing on making it as comfortable and convenient and efficient as possible for the developer to write code. Um, hmm. The, I think kind of the unspoken piece there is over the user experience. Like if you had to choose one over the other, I feel like hmm. we as an industry have put more of a priority on how efficient developers are to the expense of the user. And I think the lean web represents a shift to the other direction, um, hmm. which is not necessarily to say make it inconvenient for the developer. Cause I actually think in many ways, a more simple back to basics experience can be better for developers too. Um, but it really puts more of a focus on the user, on performance, on picking the right tool for the job, on mm. um, it's almost like a development minimalism. Um, so, mm. uh, which this is the first time I've ever used this phrase. So I'm going to kind of think out loud on this one a little bit here, but um, uh, you know, the idea of using just what you need to achieve what you're trying to do and nothing more. Um, okay. So, um, you know, that manifests in a couple of ways. Um, that means doing things like embracing the stuff the platform gives you out of the box mm -hmm. as much as possible. Um, uh, but not necessarily like breaking your back trying to, like, so we talked about animations a little bit. I think that's a perfect example of, our visualizations rather, because you can do a lot of really cool yeah. animations with CSS these days. But um, visualizations. If you're doing visualizations, um, unless you are a real <laughs> glutton for punishment or you just want to learn, um, writing your own like raw data visualization code is maybe not the best use of time. Um, you know, at that that case, I absolutely would recommend you know reach for a library unless like you have a real passion for it or you really want to dig into it. Like I've done things like that before, and then I end up using my own tools over and over again because I like them. But um, you know, if you're not crazy like me um it's okay to reach for third-party tools when we do reach for third-party tools i would love if as an industry we started being a little bit more mindful and deliberate about the tools mm. we chose um keeping them more small and modular um grabbing the spoon instead of the multi-purpose tool um or just the scissors or you know to use our earlier analogy a hammer not a wrecking ball um you know if you're doing data visualization um something like chart vs uh, Chart.js, rather, is going to be a little bit smaller than um, yeah. D3 is um, in some situations, not all. If you need state-based UI, um, something like Preact or Svelte are going to result in a smaller footprint than React or Vue mm -hmm. um, or Angular are. Not that those tools are bad, um, but they have a very narrow use case compared to kind of some of the other things. They include a bunch of stuff that you might not need. Um, most notably the virtual DOM in, in most cases. Um, 
And uh, I think the other piece here is bearing in mind that the web is for everyone. This is maybe more of like a mindset thing, mm-hmm. um, but it applies to both the way we build, remembering that not everybody has the not everybody who's going to be participating has the same skill set that you do um, or the same level of expertise. And so things that feel easy to you might not be easy to other people who are going to be meaningful contributors on a project. And from a user perspective, not everybody has the um, <clears throat> the same equipment, the same bandwidth, the same ability to kind of download all this code that you want to ship for the thing you built. Um, and if you think about that, um, you know, it, if you kind of keep that as a focus, it really changes the way you build things for the web. You really um, notice it when you run an NPM install on a new project and it says, for this site that's going to be a meg and a half when the user downloads it, we're going to give you about a gig and a half of JavaScript source files and dependencies that you may never actually need. But we, because we ran into that at work with uh, one of my uh, coworkers, he was, he kept running into errors on his development environment and we we couldn't figure out why. And it come to find out he was running NPM install on a project that was too big for the hard drive. He'd ran out of space. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> a very invisible tax, so to speak, but it, it is yeah. one that I do feel like that's one when you get into stuff like that, it, as far as like developer experience goes, yep. yeah, let me get the bare minimum to, to get this stuff going. Why am I downloading stuff for even on a fast machine? I've got gigabit fiber. I am lucky. I, I love my world right now. And when I have to take 15 minutes to download a project to get started on something. <laughs> God help you if there's an out-of-date dependency, right? Yeah. yeah. I've got, I've got two, two comments on what you were just saying, Chris. Um, yep. One of them is I, I strongly advocate to anyone I pair with, especially juniors, that it's our prerogative, or not our prerogative, our, um, the one that's prerogative but mandatory. Pejorative. Pejorative. Mm-hmm. No, not pejorative. It's <laughs> it's just it's our duty. I imperative. guess that would be the right word. Imperative. Thank you. Ooh. It's our oh. imperative that as developers we should inconvenience ourselves if it means adding more convenience for the user every time, because yep. there will always be ideally multitudes of users using what we make, and it's only us in a short like in the now that's being inconvenienced. So that's always the right trade off. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is. Regarding developer experience, I think it's funny you mentioned that. Like, I definitely understand where you're coming from, but I'm actually uh, giving a talk this weekend about code UX, and the I'm still working out the details on it. But but the idea is the the way that we write code that only developers will ever see. The user will never see any of this stuff. It's just the abstraction that we're writing is so often like buried under a mountain of cognitive load that it makes it very difficult to write and maintain and it makes it far more complicated than it needs to be. It can be something as simple as like, you know, not naming a variable with a meaningful name. It could be using excessive indirection. Um, Frameworks sometimes add to that and sometimes they subtract from it. And it really depends on, I guess, on on how the framework approaches things. Um, But uh, I, I think that Sometimes developer experience gets shorthanded with, oh, look, I can do a lot of stuff by writing a single line of code, but you have to know where to put every single brace, period, parens, and letter in the right order and sequence. 
And God forbid you use a prince instead of a brace for something or forget to use dot, dot, dot or whatever else. And and I, I think that... Yeah, and I don't mean I, to take away from the developer experience. Like, it's important. No, It's no. just not... Yeah, no. You know, you hit on it already. It shouldn't be at the expense of the user, certainly. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I've, I've heard a lot about how how great all these tools are that we have in, in at our uh, disposal, whether that's your, your Jenkins or, or Travis CI type tools and the stuff that, you know, uh, Gulp lets you do and, and Webpack and, and Parcel and all these bundlers and, and module loaders. And the only thing I can think of is every time I run NPM build, I cringe because <laughs> there's so many failure points in anything I do anymore. And, so anytime I think about like developer experience and simplifying tool chains, you know, that as much as the user product is, is important, it's like, there's a lot we can do to make our own lives so much simpler. If we don't have all the dependencies, if we try to, you know, a transpiler is important. A transpiler is, you know, especially in terms of supporting IE 11, still a lot of people still need to, to go back a little ways. So all of this talk about things that like jQuery solved, you know, that's what a transpiler helps solve. It keeps us kind of true to to that without us having to do the work. But that process of making sure my stuff works so that I can make stuff work for other people is really important uh, too. Uh, let me give a metaphor real fast to kind of wrap things up here and, and see it, how this, how it this meta lands. Five. Meta five. What? Go, go plus one. <laughs> meta five. I'm Turn it not going to do that. I, I have today. only one left in me, so. Oh, all right, meta three. When I think about lean web, when I think about ideas of less is more in, in programming and coding and web development and, and simplifying user journeys and user experience, I think of all of this a lot like salt. Salt is one of the most important, I was about to say inventions. That's not the right <laughs> word. We're hitting you know, we that point in the drinking, right? We invented, uh, <laughs> Al Gore invented salt in 1738. Um, salt as a utility for food, as mm -hmm. a, a tool we use to enhance food and make food better is so important. The other day I pulled, uh, I got one of those microwave potato deals. That's mm -hmm. absurd because potatoes are easy, but it was on sale. It was like the day before it expired. So I thought, sure, I'll grab it for a buck and a half. Is this of, the, you know, like, shrink-wrapped potato? Is that what you... Yeah, yeah. You, no, it's, like, a chopped-up, like, new potatoes ah. or whatever. Or the oh, little, okay. The, the yeah. little yellow potatoes, roasted potatoes. Right. Stick it in the microwave for four minutes, and you've got a, a tray of potatoes. Like parboiled and, or something? And they were so salty, they were inedible. <laughs> um, I don't think that's why they were on clearance, because I'm hoping nobody tasted them before <laughs> I got them. But Extra salt. salt is the metaphor for this that I think brings it all home. You can so easily, as a developer, add too much salt to the things you're building and just put too much in there mm -hmm. that, you know, when you think about your onboarding processes or your user experience, um, you know, the way that stuff gets interpreted by the people who aren't you is really important. And you have to think about the taste that leaves and not just for them, but for yourself, because you're setting yourself up for wh whether it's technical debt. You know, things you have to go back and take care of, like that stuff may taste great now, but your palate may get refined later and you realize, oh yeah, what was I doing? So think about it. That that That's my uh, my lesson for this evening. <laughs> it's a good analogy. I would, I would agree with that, yeah. So you do need some salt or 
or but just you can't have too you much. You need though. some. Yeah, you got to put some. a little bit in there. That's yeah. fine. It's it's all about the refinement and mm-hmm. uh, you know Salt Bay. Is that still Salt Bay is <laughs> probably not a thing, right? I'm I'm good at the memes, but I get a little behind. That's so. that's the the guy with the salt. I thought yeah, it was yeah. fairy dust for a long time. I didn't know. It was salt. <laughs> <laughs> we um we watch we watch cooking shows at home, and it's like every every chef every time they take yeah. needs a little more salt. It's just like the thing. <laughs> Every developer, too. <laughs> a little more salt. Aaron, you've got one day left. I know you need to learn something new. I know it, it begins with an R. Ro- you roasting. Got, roasting you, with salt. You've got a couple hours. Roasted salt. No. I know how dedicated you are to Ruby, and it makes Ruby. me sad. You that need, begins with no, an R. You need, other, you need rust in your life. That also has four letters. You can you can clean it up with navel jelly later. Don't worry. <laughs> navel jelly is a weird word. What right? the hell is like, navel jelly? It's it's a rust uh, dissolver. You've never heard of navel jelly? That's a whole other discussion. Man, go by the website. Go to drunkenux.com/rustconf. Yes. And get yourself a free ticket. Tomorrow is Rust Conference. Uh, from noon to five, Live at Manning is doing part of their conference series. Uh, a whole afternoon of. Everything you want to learn about what what's uh, you you found it right the rustations, rustations yeah yeah rust rustations and how fer- cool of a name is that for people who uh... their mascot's Ferris yeah but F E R R I S like the name not F E R R O U S the homophone that they're kind of referencing on this I'm pretty sure that was the joke though yeah I just I explained mean... the joke. That's what we're here for. That's my I job. can't believe that they would have gone a- across that like accidentally. So <laughs> Chris is applauding me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, run by drunkenux.com slash rustconf. That's R-U-S-T-C-O-N-F. It's not too late. Get a free ticket. Um, Live at Manning is doing conferences, uh, of course, now and through October. Um, we'll be talking about some of those here in upcoming episodes. But uh, check it out. It's a great chance to learn something for free. Everybody's learning from home right now, working from home, doing everything from home. So if you're a developer, if you're not a developer, but you're looking for something to get into, um, Rust is a growing new hotness in the industry. So it's, yeah, I would agree with that. Go go yeah. check it out. You have nothing to lose. It's it's free. Free is the best yeah. of the costs. Chris, man, thank you so much for jumping on tonight with us. Um, Naval tried... jelly makes me really uncomfortable. I don't... <laughs> Don't worry about it, man. Don't don't think about it too hard. <laughs> I've tried to wrangle Aaron as much as I could. I know he has absolutely derailed half this conversation. I hope everybody <laughs> learned a ton. Um, it's if you didn't, it's Aaron's fault. But Chris, Maple uh, Jelly, dude, you brought it up. You can't blame me. <laughs> this is getting so weird, Chris. I'm going to give it to you to save us. Take the microphone. Take a couple minutes here. Tell everybody where they can find you, what you got going uh, on, or anything yeah. else you want to share. Thank you guys so much. I really, um, I had a great time chatting with you both. Um, you know, not so much Aaron, but what can you do? Um, <laughs> I, so, I know. So, um, yeah. So for anybody who kind of enjoyed this um, and wants to dig into it a little bit more, um, uh, go make things.com every weekday. I write a short little email um, with That's code right, snippets, yeah. tools, yeah. techniques, interesting stuff from around the web. Uh, you can find that at gomakethings.com. And if you head to gomakethings.com slash drunkenux, I have Ooh. put together a huge list of um, links and additional information from all the stuff we talked about in today's show. 
So if you want to like really dive in, that's probably the best place to go. You can also find my contact info. And if you want to email me and tell me what an idiot I am, um, that's there too. So um, that's what's, my line. What's too drunk in your, Michael, what's too drunk in UX.com slash go make things and make it point to something on Chris's site? Um, I'll make it point to his uh, Vanilla JS Academy. How's that sound? Yeah, cool. I like that. That, 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 that seems like a turnabout is fair play. Um, That's fancy. Folks, also make sure you sign up for his podcast, it's the Vanilla JS Podcast. You can find it on Google. You can find it on uh, Apple, Spotify, I think pretty much everywhere, probably. Every fine podcast host near you. Um, right, yeah, yeah. That's, that is the way we do this. So um, the thing that is uh, awesome about his podcast, and uh, he's not saying it, but I will, every episode is like under 10 minutes long, generally. What? Um, which makes it yeah. the absolute perfect. You wake up in the morning, you got a new episode of it, hit play, drink your coffee. You don't have to put up with it for an hour like some shows that go way uh, beyond I, what they're I didn't welcome. know that. That's, that's even possible? Dude, this is, it's <laughs> editing laziness. I don't know how you, <laughs> the hour-long episode with a guest is my nightmare. <laughs> we used to be longer. <laughs> yeah. Poor Michael. <laughs> oh, you can, uh, if you want to, Trade instead of trading links with us and URLs, you should trade social media contacts with us on Twitter and Facebook.com slash drunkenux, instagiggles.com slash drunkenux podcast, and come talk with us on drunkenux.com slash discord. And you could also go to drunkenux.com slash go make things, which is going to then 301 redirect back to drunkenux.com, right. Or no, where's that's, that? that's pointing to the Vanilla JS Academy. Now we're just, yeah, you're yeah. just trying to break shit. See, that's why we can't trust you on the show anymore. <laughs> I fired okay, wait, you twice, don't wait, you remember? Let's, let's, you gotta, build, like, you gave me a Billy Martin, though. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, How we gotta many make, redirects before the browser gives up? Let's, let's find out. We'll do drunkenux.com slash go make things, which will point to go make things.com slash drunkenux. And vice versa. Folks, I, I do want to give a shout out. Uh, as we were recording this, uh, if you just to give a testament to how close we're paying attention to things, somebody actually uh, hopped on our Discord while we were uh, recording this episode. <laughs> so I'm going to give a shout out to Angelo. Uh, Hello, hey, thanks for stopping in and, and chatting with us while we were chatting with Chris. Um, <laughs> but you can join Angelo and everybody else at drugandux.com/discord uh, because at the end of the day, we practice one thing that we preach, and that one thing is the most important thing. Whether you're writing all the code, none of the code some of the code, using libraries, as long as you are keeping your personas close, but your users closer, I'm a happy man. See ya. See ya. Naval Jolly. <laughs> <laughs>